Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're tuned into the show today. We really appreciate it. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you just heard, and Gary Jones is my partner. How you doing, Gary? I'm doing pretty good this morning, Mike. We're glad we can be here with you today and uh, hope that you can stay with us for all or part of the hour. Hopefully we can do say some things that will spiritually uplift you today, give you some insight into a few things, make you think point you toward the Bible. We Are Just Christians is normally a live call-in show, but today, because of some surgery I'm having, uh, we're on a recording, not going to be able to be with you live, so I'm not going to give you the call-in numbers so you don't bother Ray at the station there with a call, but I will give you the text number and some other contact information uh, as we go along here so you can get in touch with this show normally when we get back live on the air, hopefully uh, next week, Lord willing. But we're a live call-in show normally, and we t- take your calls, comments, and questions about anything spiritual that's on your mind. Now, the premise of the show is that we believe that the New Testament is God's will for all of us today, down through all the ages, not just in the first century, so that we can recreate New Testament Christianity here in the 21st century. We can do and live like the apostles intended for us to live. In the, from the beginning here in this century. And so we believe the Bible uh, is applicable today. It has, has what God wants us to do. It tells us how to be a Christian, how to live according to Christ's will. It speaks to all kind of issues that concern human beings. And so we're going to try to give you a Bible answer to whatever question you call you have. We may not know the exact answer to it, but we're going to point you in a general direction of the Bible. That's kind of the way it is, isn't it, Gary? Oh, yeah. And and the the passage that I I like to quote and uh, I think everybody should note is John 12 and verse 48. Jesus is talking and he says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So basically, God's word is what's going to be the standard by which we're judged when we stand before God. Correct, and that's that's kind of the premise of the show. And so uh, we invite you, normally we invite you to call in and talk to us and talk, get, give us questions or comments, criticisms. Whether you're a believer in the Bible or not, that really doesn't matter to us. In fact, we'd, we'd love to talk to you if you're not a believer or you have uh, something that's happened to you that makes you just, uh, you know, repulsed by churches and Christianity. We'd like to hear from you. Not so we can shame you or criticize you in some way so we can have a conversation about that and um, it helps us to to learn about uh, what people are thinking so as i mentioned we would normally give you the contact information we're not going to do that this morning now gary we've uh, you've had a subject going here for two or three weeks and so since we've got kind of an off week as far as calls and texts and stuff uh, why don't we try to finish up what you've been talking about? Well, actually, thirty-one. Well, actually, Mike, it's been more than a week. Well, a few weeks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long it's been. Taken. Well, we only we only covered one subject, and I, I didn't plan to basically cover every verse in Job thirty-one. And since it's been a good while, I'd pre- preface that with a little bit of, you know, what's in Job thirty-one, and why would we want to study it? 
Job 31 has been titled, I think, Mike, in, in things that we, you and I both have read as the worthy man. Well, that's because it's in contrast to Proverbs 31. Right. The last part of that chapter is often called the, 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 the verses on the worthy woman, a worthy woman who can find for prices far right. above rubies. And so you're saying this passage in Job is kind of a parallel for men to that passage there right. in Proverbs 31. Okay, go ahead. And basically, now Job is doing several things, and I think we talked a little bit about the outline of Job in that generally people read the first two chapters and maybe the last four or five chapters, and they don't necessarily read the chapters in between, or if they do, they're they're scanned and, and not taken very much note of. And there, there's a lot of important material in those chapters. Job is talking about basically himself here, and uh, he's contrasting it to, in in one or two places, that, you know, basically this is how I've led my life in, in that he hasn't done some of the things that he mentions here. And basically says, you know, these things are not worthy of what I'm receiving. If you're familiar with Job, Job is undergoing a severe test at this point in his life. Uh, That test is uh, at an accusation that Satan leveled against him in chapters 1 and 2, and so we see Job is undergoing that that test. Satan comes before God and says, basically... uh, you know, you've blessed Job. He has all this wealth and all these riches, and basically he's had a very good life. And if you take that away from him, God, he'll curse you to your face. And Job never did do that. Uh, he he never did uh, go to where Satan wanted to take him in that, uh, in that, basically in that accusation. And this is one of the chapters where Job talks about what his life was like. He does it in a few other places, but this is one of the largest segments of that. Uh, the entire chapter, chapter 31, is much like that. And we, we've talked about chapter 31, verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to read that. And Job is speaking. He says, I, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not the destruction of the wicked and and disaster for the workers workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my ways? Job says he's not, he's made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon. I take that, Mike, that he he's not lusting upon young women that he sees. And this this goes along with many of the things that Jesus has said, perhaps even in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've talked about those things. And I, I won't go over those, but I'll give you some references to look at. Matthew 5, uh, verse 27 and through 30 is a good reference for that. Uh, Jesus talks about adultery and committing adultery of the heart. We talked about those. Uh, we've talked about a few others. But uh, one of the first ones that I wanted to get to after that was Job 31, 29 and 30. He says, if I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or lifted myself up when evil found him, indeed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul. Job is saying, you know, I've had enemies, people have hated me, but I haven't 
I haven't cursed them. Uh, I haven't even asked God to uh, to curse them or, or, you know, put evil before them or, or bad things before them. And, you know, Mike, that just made me think of today, all the things that I hear on the news. About not seeking revenge. For yeah, not seeking revenge for all those things. And yet, uh, just about seems like to me all I hear on the news today is people uh, bad-mouthing all those people that they don't agree with that they've made enemies or they consider them their enemies. And it's just not um, not one of the things that Job says he's done. Proverbs twenty four seventeen and 18 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Least the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Basically, Proverbs gives them a passage that says, You shouldn't do that. We shouldn't request or look towards revenge what uh you're gonna have to help me out here i'm losing my voice for a minute here mike but basically i was going to go to where uh, uh paul says i believe that he says vengeance is mine saith the lord yeah, he at says the end of romans 12 and right the of chapter 13 he tells us not to take personal vengeance against people for wrong because god will avenge you now, in chapter 13, he, he, that's why he says, vengeance is mine. I'll take vengeance. Chapter 13, he indicates that right. God uses the government for that vengeance at times. That's a minister, as a minister to bring this wrath upon those who do wickedness, rather than us take up vigilante justice, as it were, and get back at our enemies. And, and this, is a com- this is so common a human emotion and behavior that sometimes we just don't even see it, it. there for what it is. Vengeance. We have all kind of psychological terms for it, perhaps, and we attribute it to low self-esteem or whatever. But it's a uh, common human behavior, and God says He recognizes when we are out to take vengeance, and He will sometimes lift His hand from those who are enemies because of our attitude. Right. That's the that's the interesting part. Of it. I'm not sure you see that in life there it is he might he might make things come out a little bit different Different than you want because you have decided exactly in his destruction and um you know gloat over over a over bad things happening to people yeah i've I've heard more difficult i'm sorry no i was just going to say one of the things that i've heard people tell me is when they get upset with somebody they say well i don't get mad i just get even Right, vengeance is a dish best served cold. cold. You need yeah. wait to take your vengeance. Yeah, those are worldly. Those are worldly things, thoughts. right? That they go against the things in the scripture. We 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 should be patterning our life about after the things that God is telling us to pattern our lives after. And, and Mike, I have to come to the conclusion that this world would be so much better for all of us if we did that. Yes, I I, ha- I don't know what you think about this, Gary. I have told people, well, you, you need to just let the Lord uh, handle the vengeance here or the retribution or the punishment because he's so much better at it than you are. <laughs> right. Okay? When he decides to take vengeance on an evildoer, it will be much much worse than what you can do more, if you even if you thought it through. And then you won't do the damage to your own soul. That's that's so likely to be there when you take this vengeance. Well, that goes back to one of the basic commandments is love your neighbor as yourself. 
basically, Jesus says again, and I keep going back to Matthew 5, but looking at uh, Matthew 5 and probably verse 44 and following, he says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And here's the reason why. He says that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He's, he's, he's imploring us to be like God in that respect. Now, we want to be like God in some other respects, and that's not, I think, what we're, we're being told to do. We want to have the power. Power is a big motivator in our world today. Power and wealth. And it, it, it drives us to do exactly what these things tell us not to do. And Gary, I got accused of uh, taking vengeance one time when I don't believe that I did um, in a situation where a fellow had wronged me, caused me all kind of trouble and grief. I said, if you do this or whatever, then this is going to be the consequence of that as far as my behavior. And so when he did that, I, I did. And, and uh, he, um, for example, he, he gave the police my name when I let him borrow my car when he got caught speeding. He gave them my name and registration, pretended to be me when he wasn't even supposed to be using my car. So yeah. rather than go ahead and pay that ticket, which wasn't very much, I just let things roll. I just let it go. And I went down to the courtroom, down to the court office, and I said, you know, you want to pay the ticket? I said, no, I want a court date because I'm innocent. And they looked at me like, how can you be innocent? I said, well, I am. So anyway, they set a court date. So we go to the courtroom. And meanwhile, the fellow's begging me not to do this. I said, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm doing what is right here. Okay. I'm not taking vengeance on you. My, my event, what you're calling vengeance is me letting you take the consequence for what you've done. I'm not actively trying to hurt you. I'm letting you take the natural consequence for your deception. So I go, so that they um, call up the, they call me before the judge. The fellow was in the courtroom because I had subpoenaed him as a witness. The first hearing, <laughs> the judge says, well, is there any kind of witness that make you innocent? Yeah, here's this fellow. Call him. So they called him as a, subpoenaed him as a witness in this little trial, you know. Swore him into, court. Swore him into testi- testify. Yeah, so they brought, uh, brought them up there. Me and him were standing there <laughs> with a cop between us, you know, who was the one who gave the ticket. And, and somebody says, some, the judge says, uh, you know, why is he here? And I said, well, he's my witness. And he made some kind of comment. Boy, you must love this friend of yours. And the whole courtroom bust out laughing. <laughs> I said, well, I'm innocent. He did it. And they knew he, he was a, a friend of mine, relative of mine, actually. So the courtroom burst out laughing at me because the judge made a comment, well, you must really love him. And I said, and they all started laughing. I said, well, actually, honor, yes, I, Your Honor, yes, I do love him. And that's precisely why he's going to take responsibility for what he did and not me. Now, what do you, is that, is that uh, vengeance or not? I... <laughs> Well, basically, it's 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 justice. <clears throat> what, and what would make it vengeance is the attitude in my heart, whether I was trying to hurt him just to get back at what he had done for me. 
the fact that somebody pays consequences for what they do that's wrong and you hold them accountable to pay the consequence for what they've done is not vengeance. That's justice, right? Uh, that's what I would say. Yes. Now, in my heart, if, I hold, if I'm doing that just so I can watch him squirm and suffer, then that is, that's vengeance in my heart. You see what I'm saying? And I need to be careful about that. Well, it was an interesting situation. Actually, it all turned out over time extremely well. But in the short run, that kind of thing of holding people accountable for what they do and what they say is very painful to your reputation and lots of other things. Well, that's one of the things that uh, I think we fail to see a lot of times in raising our children. Uh, Oh, you know, but yeah, you have to hold your children accountable, uh, particularly beginning at an early age, because if they don't learn to take that responsibility, exactly what happened can happen just exactly as you've described. It can be worse in the end if they don't. And so it, it's kind of like, I think what Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew five, and, and even in the following verses from what I read for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do You do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Again, that idea that Jesus, basically God, is essentially going to hold us responsible for what we do. I just thought of this passage that goes with this, Gary, as far as revengeance and what you're talking about. It's, it's as old as man himself, essentially. When you go back to the book of Genesis in chapter 4, all the way back to chapter 4, early on about human beings, you have um, uh, two twins, uh, Jabel and Jubal, in verse 20 and 21, and... Um, Lamech was born to them, this man named Lamech, who became a mighty man, as it were, a big, powerful, probably the first wannabe world dictator, or a, a hoodlum. And Lamech, in verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, he had two wives, Ada and Zillah, and so here's the first guy that gets two wives, so to one wife, this guy Lamech is so proud, so, so arrogant, that he gets two wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech, he listened to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged seventyfold, sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So here is this wicked man who was so arrogant, he lifted up his hand and took two wives instead of one. And then he starts singing. You can hear this, this, is, a, this is a rap video. Okay. Right. Okay. Or, or uh, you know, one of these uh, heavy-duty rock and roll songs about listen to my voice, and it's basically poetry. Listen to my voice, and I've killed a man for wounding me, and even a young man for hurting me. So I take vent. Nobody better mess with me, or they'll pay a price. I don't get mad. I just get, I even. get even. And so, women do this too. Women's vengeance is different, but it's still vengeance. Men do it, and it's been there since the beginning of, of man. And God, through jo Job, is saying here, in responding to this very basic human behavior, Job is saying, I've tried not to live like that. And the people of my household, he goes on to say in Job 31, they right. know that I don't live like that and don't uh, uh, 
withhold from them what's right and all that kind of stuff. So he's defending himself, but he's also telling us what a good man looks like. Lamech was not a good man. And that's what's being said there in the book of Genesis. And it's early on in human history. Well, I would like to go back just for a second to the Romans 12 passage that uh, I was trying to quote before and I had to find it. So uh-huh. uh, there there are things that are related to this, too. Uh, when you talk about repaying evil for evil, basically Paul says in chapter 12, beginning in verse 14, something that's very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 20, Matthew 5. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another, do not let your mind, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, do not be wise in your own opinion, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men, if it is possible as much as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look, uh, just sandwiched in between bless and do not curse and you know basically vengeance is mine saith the lord and do not repay evil for evil is do not be wise in your own opinion people who want vengeance i i i I perceive in most cases consider themselves above others yes and they put that their hurt above above everything else and he says if it's possible live as much as depends on you Live peacefully with all men. Now, to live peacefully with all men, uh, just as an absolute command, is very difficult and would make you sometimes unrighteous because you wouldn't stand up for what was right. But as much as it depends on you, if it's in your court to live peaceably, then you live peaceably. Don't stir up trouble. Don't aggravate people about that. Don't don't try to take vengeance on them. Walk away if you have to. This is This is what's required of us. And therefore, don't give, uh, don't, do not avenge yourself, but give place to wrath. It is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So there, there's faith. See, now, now faith enters in the right. believer. You have to have faith in God that he will see the evil that's being done and that he will take care of that in, his, in time, in the way he sees fit, he'll take care of it. And it, so, uh, you know, that, that that's hard to... Hard to live by, but it will, it will. If we have faith in God, we know that that's going to be the case. You see, wicked always overextends itself. Given free reign, given enough power, wicked will overdo itself. The Jews had too much power at the time of Christ over, over life and death, and they exerted this extortionary influence over Pilate, for example. Right. They overdid it. And therefore, eventually, God brought that down on their head, both in the resurrection of Christ and then eventually in the destruction of Jerusalem. He brought that wrath down upon their head because evil always overextends itself. We should be able to see this to some degree today that given the free reign that wickedness has in our culture, that 
if we know how things work in the way that God designed them, evil men will overreach and bring about their own destruction, their own demise. And um, otherwise, the world would have come to an end a long time ago. Oh, yes. Okay, so, so this is what's going to happen now in our culture, is that evil will overreach to some degree, and um, things will be even back out again one way or the other. It, it just may it just may take a long it time. It takes time, for... and it, a lot of bad things happen in between, and it doesn't make life very pleasant. Uh, but God, uh, God is in control. He ha- does have some plan for that. Now, the other side of that that I'm not trying to diminish is that we can have some impact upon how much influence evil has in society, and we talk about that here on this show uh, probably too much, right. but quite a bit. So, but our, our the, the personal wrath, personal vengeance, does not belong to me. Now, some people want to extend the idea of no vengeance to the government and to the police and to the whatever, but or even the military. But that's not what God says here. He goes on in chapter 13 to say that I've rightfully given the place of vengeance to my minister in the government. He does not bear the sword in vain, and he will execute wrath in my stead. So we, should, we have to turn things over to the lawful authorities for vengeance. And that's why, as I mentioned, when the lawful authorities don't execute justice properly, either because they refuse to or because they miscarry justice and punish the wrong people, God will hold them accountable because they're his minister for doing good. Once again, and we must as Christians display some patience in that, when there are wicked uh, governments or government officials who refuse to do justice, you can rest assured that over time God will bring them to justice himself. And and that's a key thought, Mike, that I, I can keep keep coming back to. When when a society loses its belief or faith in God, and basically it destroys that idea that God will eventually bring to justice those who behave in violent and evil ways, then the decay of society is is right before you. You cannot even expect a government to work in the situation where the people in the society or the people that are elected to the government have no feeling of responsibility or to carry out what's right. right. When they don't, vengeance is such an integral part of human behavior from the very beginning, as we saw, that now then individuals begin to take justice in their own hands and society breaks down because that just leads to more individual vengeance, and so the cycle goes. And that's exactly what we're seeing in our yes, society this today. Is why, this is why society oftentimes reacts so strong, uh, police react so strongly to what they perceive as vigilante justice because it is striking at the core of societal fabric itself for me to practice vengeance on my own. Now, back in the Bible times before they had strong police forces of any kind, um, God allowed the avenger of wrath to take vengeance upon the avenger of blood, and, and, and but He set rules for that that had to be followed properly for there to be a vengeance because they didn't have any police forces yet at right. that time. They had magistrates at different times in Roman society, but but much of Hebrew society and when they were dealing with the, their neighbors around about them was not very structured like we have it today, and so people were more likely to take vengeance in their own hands unfairly. That's why you see this. Well, and also I've seen, you know, I'll, I'll go back to the movies in Hollywood that portray things that that I don't think are practical within society. 
they, they represent Christians as being totally against any violence of any kind under any circumstance. Yeah, they think that's what the Bible teaches. And, and if you don't do that. But that's right, and, and I think this verse 18 in, in Romans 12 is exactly saying the opposite of that. What does Paul say? If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That not only implores you to be patient and live at peace, but it also states the opposite, that there are circumstances under which that is not you, possible. Either because it doesn't depend on you, and it's not possible to do so because you risk uh, losing your family or something. Well, Hollywood also has this uh, popular genre of movies and TV shows where the hero, some injustice is done to someone, and then they spend the rest of the movie tracking, he spends the rest of the movie taking vengeance. And eventually they build it up to the point where the, the the bad guy has to die in some very glorious and flaming end, you know, that gets everybody in the theater cheering for someone murdering someone else, essentially. According to the laws of the country, what he does would be murder on a grand scale sometimes and destruction of property, but by the time the movie's over, the audience is cheering for that to happen. I I have trouble, you can get caught up in that, but I have trouble seeing that this is a good thing to embed in society that that we ought to be able to take our own personal vengeance whenever we feel like it. And yet it creates perhaps on some other element the idea that we don't have to sit idly by when the police are corrupt and won't do anything, uh, you know. But well, see, this is, this is what people... What does the Christian have to do with that? Right. Well, here's, here, what does the man of God, how does the man of God make that decision? And this is the part that we encounter in the Bible. I've, I've said... From time to time, if you study the Bible carefully and honestly, you're going to find parts of it that you don't like. This is one of the parts that I find difficult, Mike, sure. because how what judgments have to be made to decide the difference between when I act and when I don't. And and you have to carefully read some of the other things that are in the passages. We could spend the whole show, and maybe we should spend the whole show someday doing just the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, well, because, yeah. because there are just... That's, a, that's one the, of the most difficult parts of the Bible, to really, you, put, to, into to, to really put into practice in the proper way. It's, not nice, it's nice for people to cross-stitch them and put them on the wall, but to actually try to live it. Yes, for exactly what Paul is saying here, you not, you're not going to be able to live oh, that in idea, every... Here, here's a, you see this so often. <clears throat> here's a family and you, that has just had a child murdered, and they finally catch the guy, and the the mother or father says, "Well, we don't we don't believe in capital punishment because vengeance is the Lord's." <coughs> well, my point to them would be: I'm sitting here screaming at the TV. The Lord said he's, the, get, try, he's trying to give you vengeance. Well, the he's Lord trying to give you justice, and you refuse it. Well, well, I look at it not you to the, not that the Lord is giving that person judgment. The Lord is taking His judgment on through. <clears throat> Through the government and through the powers on that he that put person, in place on that person. Justice, yes. and, and, and you're actually standing in the way of the Lord when you do that. that. Because it does, isn't good for all society. So, so yes, uh, capital punishment, for example, I believe is authorized in the Bible. It should be done fair, fairly and equitably and uh, no, no place for torture. But the fact is that um, we, we often, that's God's method of getting rid of evil. It isn't just about 
oh, well, you'll never bring that person back. Of course you won't. That's the whole point. They're gone forever. And so the justice part of it is God says that person forfeits their life in, in that situation. And that's, a, that's people don't want that. Well, now then you have a situation where life becomes degraded over time, the value of life. The, I saw a, a TV show yesterday, Gary, um, British crime show. And there's a lot I want to say about this, but I'll just make it brief. This woman was very, very possessive of her little children. She had three little children, eight, two eight, eight-year-old twins and a little, little girl five years old. And her, she was so uh, overprotective and um, maniacal about it that her husband had left her. And because she wasn't <coughs> doing things properly, he was going to try to get custody because he thought she was actually de- depriving them in some way. So basically what happened was when he told her he was going to take her to court to gain some, he would, she wouldn't let him see them at all. He was going to take her to court and get some kind of visitation. She said, well, say goodbye. Well, t- the next day after that, she took him up to the bedroom, got three knives from the kitchen, three long steak knives, killed each one with a different knife, stabbing them each eight times exactly, laid their bodies out next to each other, and laid the knives in front of them, and then jumped out of a window to kill herself. Well, she didn't die. She yeah. lived. Of course, she was so arrogant I know uh, that she thought this was God's sign that she, she was somehow protected. God was protecting her because she didn't die from jumping out of a two-story window. Now, they had this big, long debate. This is in Britain about this woman. And they didn't charge her with murder. They charged her with homicide by diminished capacity or something like that. She got 14 years for killing three children. Wow. 14 years. If that had been a man, this is another point. (coughs) He would have been one of the worst people in, in British history they would have demanded that even though they were against capital punch to string this guy up. But they had all these psychiatrists come on and say, well, she's got this condition, she's got that condition, uh, that back and forth about everything. And the truth of it is, when you listen to her, what she said about it in the interview, when they took, she finally regained her health, is that she did it to hurt her husband. She was taking vengeance on him for trying to get some custody of his own children. And she did. She took vengeance on him. Now, do you think it's justifiable that vengeance be taken upon her by God and by the authorities? Absolutely. And what she received wasn't justice at all, wasn't vengeance at all. And, uh, you know, the, the, the people accountable for that, the psychiatrist who, uh, you know, gave her excuses and made a plea for this diminished capacity, Look, why doesn't the man who kills his children get some kind of diminished capacity defense? He doesn't. So that's a complete miscarriage of justice in all ways. But she was just simply taking taking vengeance spitefully. It wasn't even an act of overwhelming emotion. She wasn't overcome in a moment. I mean, even our law recognizes, Gary, that if you walk in and see your wife with another man that if you were to hurt them or kill them, uh, you wouldn't be charged with premeditated murder. You'd receive a lesser charge because of the... Because of the circumstance. passion. Right. But now then, if you find out that she's having an affair and then you plot their death, plot this other man's death over a period of time, well, now that's a different thing. Don't we? We understand that. Even the Bible gives that kind of scenario in the Old Testament. But 
But the vengeance then is a human emotion, isn't a male emotion, it, and God provides ways for justice to be carried out. Justice is a hard thing. And of yeah. course, before we hand out justice as human beings, the reason God doesn't leave it up to me is because I'm not always dispassionate about it. He puts it in the hands of magistrates, these, this kind of justice, who can look at the situation more dispassionately. Well, that and bring about true well, what does it what does it say about you if you want the if you want the vengeance and you've got to have it for yourself that's why i wanted to bring up this this idea that paul puts right in between um he says bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse and then next next thing down he says but set your but set your mind on but do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. And then the very next line is repay no one evil for evil. We need to learn to look at the things that Paul and the New Testament writers put in context to each, to each other. other. And, and understand what it says about you when you, when you want to do those things. Uh, the very last part of that, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because he repeats that idea of if, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Yeah, when, he, when he says, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, do not be wise in your own opinion. I think what he's saying is this idea, how could they do this to me? That's what people say. Yeah. How, could she, how could he or she do, do this, this to, to me? me? That means that of all the people they could do it to, they shouldn't have done it to me, me because I'm better than them or better than other people. Because I am wise I'm, in my own opinion. Yes, I'm the one who is better. And so this is the real key here. How could they do this to me? Well, the truth is they probably have done it to other people too. Right. Uh, and you're not anything special in this case. But, but that's just hard for humans to accept. But so humility, there's several things at work here. There's justice, there's humility, there, there's vengeance. There's all these human things going into, at, play, at play here. And, right. there's having fa and there's faith involved in living, living this way. So, exactly. Uh, so there's a lot of factors when you start breaking it down that, that um, if, if you had kind of parents who understood the Bible in this way and tried to teach it to you humbly, they taught you some of these things how they interacted with you and with other people and with your siblings. They taught you about this kind of thing as much as they could. And, and we, we had a, 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 sometimes that produces a better, more just society. But where you have kids that only see uh, justice in video games and TV in Hollywood, and that's where it's carried out because mother's having her mommy wine and daddy's at work or wherever daddy may be gone. Well, now you don't have kids being shown their own proper place, how they're to handle when things go wrong. Well, Mike, one of the things that, that I keep saying, and, I, and I've, talked to, I've talked to Sharon, my wife, about it, uh, my dad never made a point of just sitting me down and trying to teach me a lot of things. But the, one of the things that I said, I told her, I said, I watched him. I watched what he did. We, 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 if parents can teach in a better way than just setting a child down and telling them what to do, the best way to teach a child in many cases is for them to watch what you do. And they do watch what you do, whether you like it or not. Uh, I, I think they get the wrong impression by what you're saying, but you're right. They can't see that. 
Uh, it's 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 very. I think parents really should pay more attention to what they do uh, than they do often. Oh yeah. Well, this is uh, now we were on Job here, and we've been yeah. the Romans, but uh, this idea of vengeance is um, is a big thing, and and I guess he, well, male and female vengeance will look different from each other. Male and female pride will look different from each other. Yeah, female pride is a little quieter, not as violent oftentimes, um, except I just gave you a case of what it was. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but that's um, it's not as dramatic. But uh, this that's something people miss. They think because someone is quiet that they're humble. Quietness and humility are not necessarily related to one another. Um, that they just mean they're just they're a quiet person may be proud in his own eyes and he's so pr- he's so proud that he doesn't even want to interact with other people finds no need to interact with other people because he he's better than they are and and on and on it goes um, they can take pride in their quietness it, you know a lot of it depends on whether or not you're willing to learn from others I, if if you're willing to learn and listen to others and learn from what they say or learn from what they do uh i i don't see pride in that attitude but if you're not willing to learn from people then you, you i think it would be a good idea to start examining your thoughts pretty carefully and and your attitudes there uh if you if you're not willing to at least listen to what someone says and 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 have a recognition that well maybe I better think about this because it might be correct even though I disagree with it uh that's one of the characteristics of that pride you're talking about when 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 you, when you can't listen and I'm seeing that in the world about me today I, ideas that you know people don't agree with they just dismiss immediately without any thought or any care that that idea might be correct. It might not be correct, but it, it, it demands the respect of someone else to at least examine what it says. And if you're not willing to do that, then I think that's what you're talking. I think that's one of the things you're talking about here as, as an identification of pride. Yeah. And, and Job is the, the whole, you can take this chapter uh, uh, on Job 31 and if you looked at it through the lens of pride and humility, you would see that Job was not uh, a downcast person in the sense that he thought little of himself altogether, but he was one who didn't think of himself as the only person in the world that had any any rights or responsibilities, and he was willing to be fair with those people around him. That's what he's trying to say here. I haven't done the injustice that you're accusing me of. Right, Exactly. And and you can see that if you just look. I haven't lived that way. I don't think he's appealing to the fact that he's sinless, but I think he's saying I haven't lived the way that you're saying that I've lived to deserve what's happened to me. And of course, sometimes we don't get. Well, one of the things that you can one of the things that you can understand from Job thirty one is look at some of the other things that he said here. Uh, in Job thirty one twenty four and twenty five, he says, "If I have made gold my hope." Are said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand has gathered much, you know, that's one of the things that I think indicates that Job is not particularly a prideful person, but is 
is doing some honest self-examination here. Uh, if you take that passage and couple it with Job 31 and verses 31, he says, If the men of my tent have not said, Who is there that has not been satisfied with his meat? But no sojourner has had to lodge in the street, for I have opened my doors to the traveler. Job has said, I have been, I have, you know, extended my hospitality. I have, and, and that takes away from his wealth. He has not said basically that his wealth is, is before him. Now we could talk about each one of those, uh, particularly the wealth in Timothy, the famous verse that I'm pretty sure a lot of people are thinking of in first Timothy six ten. he says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wealth causes people to do a lot of things. Well, it's interesting too, Gary. I hear people who immediately, the modern assumption in the, well, the assumption in the ancient worlds was if you had money, God loved you because he blessed you. Right. If you're poor, then you must have done something wrong because, you know, God didn't bless you. The, mod- the assumption in the modern world, because of our political parties is that if you have wealth it means that you're a bad person you're a cheat or greedy when i hear people automatically assume that because a person has wealth that they're greedy what i learn from that is something about their heart their belief system they're telling me that they think that money is very important and value and judges and determines the value of a person so when they look at someone else and say, he must be greedy because he has money, what they're telling me is that they're greedy. They want that guy's money. That, that's what they do. That They want the money. That's why they're mad because he's got it, because they want it. And they view wealth in the United States as a zero-sum game, that if he has it, that means he took it from me, which, of course, isn't true in a right. free market society. But that's the assumption that's been put forward by our in our political well, system. Well, that idea that wealth is uh, basically something bad or something that you stole says, from here some... here it isn't that way at all. Well, yeah, let's, 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 let's take another Bible lesson from this, Mike. Let's go back up in First Timothy 6 and go back up a few verses and see how Paul prefaced that. Let's start in verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. What, does, what is Paul telling Timothy? <clears throat> He's saying godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out and having food and clothing with these we shall be content but those who desire to be rich fall into the temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Well the thing that kicked that paragraph off was verse 5. He talks. He warns Timothy not to be caught up in useless wranglings of men and corrupt minds, minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. So we have all of these megachurch preachers and all of these prosperity gospel preachers out here. Who and, fly from one place to the other in and, private yes, jets. Lots of people have fallen prey to this. And they're, they're teaching directly that uh, if God loves you, he gives you wealth. And if you just say certain prayers and get, do certain things, he will make you rich. And that that's the way to become wealthy is to become a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. 
This is a direct teaching that godliness is a means of gain. Paul says another place that these are ones who, in the King James, make merchandise of the brethren. They use the brethren to buy as, as what can be bought and sold. And that's what these guys are doing. So he can, condemning this prosperity gospel right up front here in the first century. Then he goes into this uh, teaching about we can't take anything out of this world, but we should be content with food and clothing. Now, how many modern Americans will say that we are content with food and clothing? Well, only if it's a certain kind of food made a certain way, gluten-free, all organic, blah, 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 or only a certain kind of clothing of a certain style and cut from certain uh, manufacturers, we can be content with that clothing, at least while it's in style this year, we can be content, right? Well, Until we see somebody with better clothing and a different, better brand name, then we can't be content anymore. So, or we see somebody else on Facebook who went to a different restaurant that's better than the one we went to last week, and then our food is no longer any good. Or, or if you could go to a $700 a plate restaurant and not have to wear a mask after you've then, told everybody else to. Right, and then we <laughs> want to complain about other people having money. But he says that when you desire to be rich, not he, not when you are rich, you fall into a temptation. He's speaking to both rich and poor here. When you do, who, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare. And he's saying it's not wrong to. I don't think he's saying it's wrong to want to have more wealth or or prosperity to be able to live better and free from want. But this desire he's talking about here is almost a, is a lust, and it becomes a temptation which can drown you at some point. And that's why the common saying is, someone quoted this to me the other day, that money's the root of all evil. And I said, no, 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 that's not what it says. It's much worse than that. It's Pretty much, surprised. much worse than that for you and me, for the us ordinary people. The love of money. money is the root of all kinds of all, evil. Right. All evil. Well, see, I just looked at me. Yeah, that's that's what it says. Now we can all have the love of money, whether we got any or not. That's the problem with the scripture. Well, it, it, it incidentally, what 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 we're saying here, and I, I go back to Job thirty-one, verse twenty-four and twenty-five. N- going back to what Paul told Timothy, he says, "If I have made gold my hope." are said to find gold, you are my confidence. I think that's exactly what Paul is saying in verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Your your confidence and your hope can't be in your wealth. Well, this is how, and this is how people are doing a couple things. Number one is how they're defining their own worth or value or importance is how much money they got, and they judge other people this way. When you're people talking about, how much money other people have in a kind of a sneering or negative way. You can know something that they are judging themselves the same way they judge others, and they're judging you the same way by how much money or wealth or status that you have. And so they've made wealth their idol or their, their, you know, their, uh, what's it say there in Job? I've got the word. Have I made gold my hope or or my confidence? And so that's the problem with it. And then, then the other side of that is somehow we have we live with this notion. And, and, you know, there's a certain element of truth in this. That there's a certain element of truth that, that having some measure of prosperity does show something about you. People who don't 
take any thought to getting a trade or learning some way to make a living. The Bible condemns that. And so then they have to live off of the wealth of others because they won't take any thought or haven't taken any effort to provide for themselves. The Bible condemns that. So, yes, there's a, there's a bottom limit to this idea. But that's not the same as making it how you judge everybody. And then the idea of having faith in this. Yes, it's true. Having money can make life a lot easier in a lot of ways. Certainly it's true. I don't care if you have Obamacare or not. The wealthy always get better health care, better outcomes usually. That's just, that's always been true, and I, there is not any system in the world that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris or anybody else can come up with that's going to change that fact, okay, that, that the wealthy are going to do better with those kinds of things. They're going to be protected from certain diseases. They're going to be protected from certain kinds of uh, difficulties in life. But that, is it going to protect them in the end from the important things? No. Is is it going to be lasting in the sense of basically what we want? We we talk about why do we confidence in your God? No. Yeah. Why do we why do we study the Bible, Mike? Why do we want to conform our life to what God wants us to do? Why do we do those things? Why is it that we're you and I have placed our confidence in what? We placed our confidence in the scripture, hopefully. in God, hopefully. God that, yes. we, we do the, you know, hopefully the best that we can. Because why? Well, that's why we're te- trying to, ourselves and teaching others to take these words seriously and you directly, know, right? Right, exactly, because what I keep coming back to, most people will put it, you know, quite bluntly, I want to be saved. Well, what does that mean? I want to escape the wrath of God and the judgment. Because there will be a judgment. And so we want to do those things. Now, I want to point out one other thing in verse. Well, let, let me finish what I was saying, though, about okay. wealth. I, I, I didn't mean to say, oh, yeah, you're better off. You're, you are in many ways in the world better off if you're rich. But he's saying here, that desire that creeps into you to make it, make it your salvation, your, your exactly. shield and buckler, is destructive to faith in God. Because and, it's and, temporary. And, and Yes, and if you read the scriptures carefully, you see that God rewards generosity if you have wealth, and he re- he will reward that, not hoarding it. And you can tell the difference in someone who trusts his wealth from someone who doesn't by how they handle their money when they do have it, whether they are generous with it or whether they hoard it for themselves only upon their own lusts. There's a big difference there, and God looks at those two kinds of people differently. Anyway, go ahead. I uh, well, basically what what it comes down to is in verse 25, he says, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, what does he mean by that? What does he mean if I have rejoiced because my wealth was great? There is a reason to rejoice if, you, if you're successful and, and you have the things that make life easier. But here's the reason. He says, because my hand has gained much. Mike, I have more than some people I see about me. But why do I have more? I don't think it's because of anything that I did. It's I, it, greater than other people. No, it's it's not because of me. It's because what God has blessed me with. And that's an attitude difference that he's talking about. I think that's the bottom line of what these verses are here. 
It's, yeah, the, it's that attitude difference of where did that come from and how should I use it? I should use it as God would have me use it. And because he gave it to me, I didn't necessarily earn it in, in all respects. And, and, and that's a difference. That's, that's the difference between those things. But we're, we're, we're about to run out of time. Well, well, before we finish this up, Gary, what, you can have, we'll finish this up in just yeah. a minute. I wanted to mention a couple things before we get to the end of the show about how our listeners can uh, get in touch with us and find this show or tell their friends about this show. Normally, I'd give you the call-in number. It's the regular call-in number for WPSL, but I'll not do that now. You can get that next week. But if you would like to text Gary or me uh, anytime during the week or during the show, you, I'll give you the two numbers. You can reach Mike, that's me, at 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. Or you can reach Gary during the week or uh, during the show at 772 260-6220-6220 is how you reach Gary. So those are the two text numbers. We, we don't mind getting text. We'll respond to them privately. Uh, and we, will, we might even bring up your question on the air uh, if you want us to. You can also email us. Some people like to email. You can, we get some long emails. We're fine with that. Uh, we try to deal with those on, on the show. And look, it gives us a chance to look up what you're saying and think about it. That email for the show is justchristians at att.net. One word, justchristians at att.net. So you, you can send questions, you can send comments, you can send suggestions for, the, for shows, criticisms, whatever you want to to that email address, and we'll try to work it into the show and respond to it. Now, if you want to listen to the show and you don't have an AM radio handy, you're in yeah, you know, somewhere without that, you have your phone or a computer, uh, or you're or you're out of the area. Maybe you're listening to this right now on a podcast or something like that. You're out of the area. You're visiting for a while. You want to go back home. You want to listen. You can listen anywhere in the world on WPSL.com. Just go to WPSL.com. There's a Listen Live button right there. I think it's on the right hand side of the screen, if my memory is correct. If not the right-hand side, Gary, I'm pretty sure it's on the left-hand <laughs> side. side. But anyway, listen live button. And, and when you click that, it'll take you to a new window and open up and click the little play arrow and it'll play the show. Uh, or you can use your Alexa devices. Just search for and, and if you're listening there, and if you're listening there, it's 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Well, if you want to listen live, it's 9 a.m. All these are 9 a.m. Eastern t- Time. Tune in radio. Alexa, Google Chrome. You can listen to this show anywhere in the world. Every Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, and so can your friends and relatives. Or we have a podcast that you can get. Some people have told us they listen on a podcast. You can go way back. We've been doing this show for 10 years, I think. Pretty close. Pretty close. close. close I don't know exactly, but something like that. And most all of those shows, if we could get a good recording of it, are on the the website. uh, And we are justchristians.com. We are justchristians.com. And so you can get the show there. Now, I want to mention something else, Gary, which uh, we're probably going to keep doing, is two other ways to listen to the sermons live here, the service. Not the radio show, but the service. We're doing a live stream now since the coronavirus hit. We've been doing a live stream stuff here, but we do have a pretty good live stream uh, of the service starting at, uh, well, we started at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning with our Bible. We've been live-streaming our Bible study, Bible class. Actually, about 10.10. 10. 
So about 1010 uh, is the Bible class. And then at 11 is our regular worship service. We invite you to come and be with us. That's 2196 Southwest of Boulevard is the service. So Open my God.